Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. We're going to be looking in John chapter 6 again this Sunday. And like I said, I mean, there is so much in this chapter that multiple sermons could be preached, right? From this one chapter alone. But today we're going to focus on verses 22 through 71, okay? And please believe, I am not skipping over the story of Jesus walking on water <laughs> because uh, there's, there's nothing there. Oh, please believe it. I, and I would encourage you to go back and read this entire chapter and just let God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just use his word to just fill you up and to change you and to transform you by the renewing of your mind. But let's look today at verses 22 through 71. And what I want you to be thinking about as we go through these verses is this question. And just let God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just help you to, to, to examine yourself, right? By the scripture, right? That's, what, that's why we're here, right? That, that, that aspect of the Great Commission, right? Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that the Lord Jesus has commanded, right? That's why we're here, for that transformative word, right? Transform, transformative teaching, all right? So, so just surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit as we go through these verses and ask yourselves this question. Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth? Let's start in verse 22. And the word of God says this. The word of the living and true God says this. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the, of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, like I, like I mentioned before, this is after Jesus, he, he perceived, remember last week, I believe we, we stopped at the verse where it speaks about Jesus perceived that the people were going to try to take him and make him king. And so he went off alone, remember, into the mountains, and the disciples went, and just, it seems like they just took it upon themselves to get in boats, and they cross over, right, to Capernaum, right, from Tiberias. And so after they had went out a couple of miles, they see Jesus coming across the water. Right? He's walking on the water. The wind has kicked up, the waves have kicked up, and Jesus is walking on the stormy water. And, and, you know, and I, I know we're focusing on verses 22 through 71, but man, I can't help myself. So, I mean, sometimes people might get it in, in their mind that there's like this kind of still water with the, it almost looks like, you know, shiny floor, and it's just, no, I mean, think about this. We're talking about waves splashing up and down, uneasy water, and Jesus is just walking on it. I, I, I imagine sometimes it's like he's going uphill and downhill, right? Because you got these waves going up and down. And the Bible tells us that he, he gets into the boat, and as soon as he gets in the boat, the boat arrives where they are, right? So I'm just giving you this, this kind of recap of where we are. And so this is after all that, and it's the next day, right? After they arrive in Capernaum, after Jesus gets in the boat with them, walking on the water, right? And so the people who he fed earlier in chapter 6, right, the crowd of at least 5,000 that he fed with the two fish and five loaves of bread, supernaturally, miraculously, they've come seeking him. I want you to catch that word, seeking, right? They've come seeking him. But I'm not going to spoil it for you. Spoiler alert. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for you, right? I'm going to wait until we get there to talk about why they're seeking him, right? But I just want to give you that recap, get your minds on where we are, right? And so they noticed, they picked up on, wait, we didn't see Jesus get into the boat with his disciples, so how did he get here, right? Okay? 
Now, it's important to understand that people had this experience with Jesus, right? The people uh, have had an experience with Jesus and have noticed supernatural things about him, that somehow he got here without a boat. And they've come seeking him because of these things. They have come seeking him because of experiences. But ask yourself this, have they come seeking him for him? Right? Let's read on. In verse 25, it says this. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? All right, now, somebody, some, some people might read that and just keep on passing on with the rest of the story. But let's pause there for a minute, right? Notice how they're seeking him, the way they're going about seeking him, right? They're seeking him on their own terms and not on his terms, right? They're seeking him, like many today, right? These people, and here in John 6, 25, they want to seek the Lord Jesus as a rabbi or just as a good teacher, right? But not as he truly is. They don't want to seek him as Messiah, the one who was foretold to come, right? They don't want to seek him as the Lord of all creation in human form, but they, they just want to seek him as rabbi. Just ra rabbi, right? Because rabbi is a little less authoritative, right? A little less authoritative, and you know, you can, you can disagree with a rabbi, you can, you can debate with a rabbi, right? And think about this. Many in the world today just want to see the Lord Jesus as a good teacher or a positive influence on the world, right? That just, he just taught people how to love each other, right? But they don't want to see him as the sovereign Lord of all, right? They don't want to see him as the exclusive way to God, the Father, and there's none other. They just want to see him as a good teacher. Right? And we see this here even then, thousands of years ago, two, at least 2,000 years ago, people who just want to seek the Lord on their own terms. Right? And I'll give you this to think about. And sometimes, even many of us who profess faith in Christ, we don't handle him and we don't handle his word like we believe he's Lord of all, right? We don't handle him and we don't handle his word like we believe he's sovereign in every area of our lives, right? Sometimes we handle his word like it's negotiable, right? Something to reflect on. Do we seek him on our own terms? on his. In verse 26, it says this, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, and I'm sorry, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So we see in these verses, the Lord Jesus is doing several things here. Okay. First, he's confronting them about their true motives for seeking him in the first place. Right. Pause, think about that for a moment. Look, we might trick ourselves, we might deceive ourselves, but you're not going to trick the Lord. You're not going to deceive the Lord. You're not, look, you might approach him sounding all sincere and, Rabbi, how did you get here? Uh, right? Right? But the Lord knows. He knows what you are really looking for. He knows where your affections truly lie. And he knows what you really want. He knows what you're about. He knows what we're about. And look here, the Lord makes it clear to these people that he knows why they really came looking for him. He explains to them that it is not because they saw the signs and believed on him that he was the Messiah. 
and came to him for him. For him. He knows that. He explains to them that they came to him because he fed their natural bellies and uh, 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 the implication that he's implying here, right, is that the whole reason they're seeking him now in these verses is for him to fill their natural bellies again. They're looking for him to do it again. Just fill my natural belly, my, my physical body again. That's the depth, the entire scope of their desire here. And this leads me to the next thing that the Lord Jesus Christ is doing here. He's also correcting their misunderstanding about what their true need is. He's correcting their misunderstanding about what their true need is. See, they came thinking that their true need is just to get their physical, natural bellies filled, and Jesus is redirecting their attention and saying, no, 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 no. See, that's not your, that's not your greatest need. Look, he, he explains to them, I've got something even better for you. See, you need to, you need to step up. You, you, you're too low. You're down here, and you're just thinking about these natural things. You're just thinking about these natural things. You know, so often, you know, I, like I said last time, I am a, uh, uh, a continuationist. I believe the Lord still works miracles. But so often I think there's like this obsession in the church over natural, these kind of, um, they're supernatural, but they affect only the natural, right? Like they want, they want to see these miraculous healings and different things of that nature. You know, you see people you know, doing all kinds of stuff. But has anybody ever paused and thought about the natural things that Jesus did, for example, like when he raised Lazarus from the dead physically, anybody ever pause and think about the fact that Lazarus died again eventually? <laughs> How many of us ever pause and think about that? Eventually, he died again. So what Jesus is saying here to these people is, don't labor for the bread that you eat and then you just perish, right? Yes, Jesus fed them supernaturally with two fish and five loaves of bread, 5,000 people, just food just appeared, right? But here they are the next day and they're hungry again. <laughs> and Jesus says this, he says, don't labor for the food that you eat and it perishes, right? And, and, and you perish, right? But labor for the food that you eat and endures to everlasting life. He says, step up, step up. I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. So he explains to them their misunderstanding about what their real need is here. They need the bread of life. They need eternal life. And he's the only one who can give it to them. And thirdly, in these verses, we see that the Lord begins to redirect the crowd. I'm sorry. Uh, we, thirdly, we see that the Lord also corrects their misunderstanding about what it means to do the works of God. Right? We see here in verse, 30, in verse 29, I'm sorry, we see the Lord corrects their misunderstanding about what it means to do the works of God. Right? He says this, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. They say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus tells them, don't labor for the bread that perishes, but for the bread that endures the eternal life. And their response is, okay, well, so what should we be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus' response is, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So he corrects their misunderstanding about what it means to be doing the word of God. And as we read on, we will see that the Lord goes on to explain even more truth to them. Here he's beginning to do what? He's beginning to give them the truth. Remember the question, do you love the truth? The Lord is beginning to give them the truth. So let's read on at verse 3. And let's, and let's see, because there's some mixed responses in this crowd. And so let's read on to see how the people respond, right? In verse 30 it says this, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? 
What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. (laughs) Now, I start laughing here. I start laughing because, brothers and sisters, can we we say that these folks are really focused on this bread? (laughs) I mean, they really want Jesus to give them some more of that bread. Here they are, they're talking about it again, and now they've kind of... This is, and it's a testament to their disbelief about who he is, right? Because they're literally trying to, like, trick Jesus, right? They're like, they try a roundabout. Okay, well, so that didn't work, so we're going to try a roundabout way. What miracle are you going to work for us to prove to us that you are who you are, right? Well, our forefathers ate manna from heaven, so, you know, uh, can you do that? You know, and so it's like this roundabout way of getting Jesus to do what they really wanted in the first place. Remember, the reason they came to him in the first place, right? Wow, talk about having a one-track mind, right? But let's stop for a minute. Does it sound familiar, though? Does it sound familiar? But Lord, what about my job? What about my bills? What about my marriage? Right? What about what's going on in the world today? What about pandemics? What about racism? Lord, what, what about, what about, what about? And it's like, we can become so fixated on these natural things and trying to get the Lord to do something about these natural things. But look, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That's all great and good that, you know, labor for the bread that's, that endures the everlasting life. But, but what about this? Can you do something about this? Do something about this, Lord. Right? And all the while, the word of God says to us, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verses 6-7. And this, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here it is. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things. Jesus just kind of wraps them all up in a bundle. Put them all in a package, these things, that stuff. All these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, I, I said it last week. Our Lord, you know, I know it's not, it, it, you know, it might not be very um, uh, orthodox to use the word cool, but I, Jesus is so cool, man. He just, he's just so laid back. He's just like, guys. Stop worrying. Tomorrow will handle itself. Put first things first. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness. God will take care of the rest. You do your part. You obey God. You, you, yeah, tell him about it. Make your prayer request. No, you know, Jesus did say uh, further up, I believe in, the, in, in chapter 6, he did say, your father already knows what you need before you even ask him, right, in Matthew 6. But still, make your prayer request known through prayer and supplication. But notice, the scripture says before that, but don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. Make your prayer request known. Do what you're supposed to do. Your marriage, your marriage not right? Husband, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Do your part and leave the rest to God. Leave the outcome to God. Worried about your job? Obey God. Work heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. And trust God with the outcome. You're worried about the world and what's going on, the pandemics and the racism and all that, all that stuff. Scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leave the outcome to God. Trust God with everything. Trust God with everything. So don't worry about it. Don't, don't obsess over it. These folks are obsessing over what they're going to eat that day. And because of that, 
they are blocking themselves from what the Lord, the greater thing that the Lord has for them. Their one-track obsession over this bread of all things is blocking them from the greater thing that God has for them, that the Lord is trying to give them. Verse 32, let's read on. In verse 32, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. <laughs> we, we're going to touch on why that was an interesting response. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. Because apparently they didn't catch it a moment ago when he said, he. Did you catch that? I mean, I, 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 wanted, I was going to get to it later. I got to get to it now. He says this, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they, it appears they are still focused on food. <laughs> and they're like, Lord, give us this bread always. Apparently they missed the he part, right? And so Jesus, in his gracious way, just explains it to them. And he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amen. Praise God. Praise God for this glorious truth. Amen? Praise God for his word. This reminds me of John 17, 17, where the Lord says God's, God's word is truth. God's word is truth. Thank God for this truth. Praise the Lord for the truth that God has sent us the true bread from heaven, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who gives everlasting life to everyone who believes in him. And the Lord Jesus Christ will raise us up at the last day. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's read on. Verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And you know what? I got I to pause there. You got it? When I feel something on my heart. Let's not move away from that too quickly. Let's, let's not move away from that too quickly. Jesus is the bread of life. God has sent us the bread of life. Let's pause there for a minute. He sent us the bread of life, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life, and the Lord will raise him up at the last day. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Regardless of what you are going through, you already know the end of the story. Regardless of what you're going through, you already know the end of the story. If you believe in Christ, you have this confidence that God will raise us up at the last day. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what goes on. It doesn't matter what's, what's happening. Oh, yes, we have compassion. Don't get me wrong. We, could, we care about the world around us. And you know the greatest sign of compassion is to make sure they know this truth, too. That's the greatest show of our compassion, to make sure they know this truth so that they can have this blessed hope as well. That whoever believes in him and eats of this bread of life will live forever and the Lord will raise them up at the last day. Praise God. Let's not move too quickly from that. Verse 41. Definitely wanted to emphasize that more. Verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, 
I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that any has seen the Father, except he who is from God. And you know, verses like that, verses like that in verse uh, 45, in verse 45, wow, the exclusivity. They're in no uncertain terms. And it boggles the mind that people debate this. How many times does Jesus have to say it? Say anybody. Say anybody. Listen to, listen to this. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. There's no such thing as being a man or a woman of God without Jesus. There's no such thing as saying you know God without Jesus. He said everyone who hears and learns from the Father, everyone who hears and learns from God comes to me. In verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Note that, verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Did you catch that? <laughs> Jesus is going back to what he said to them before. They didn't eat the true bread from heaven. Oh yeah, it, it fell out of the sky. But they didn't eat the true bread from heaven because they're dead. He's not being insensitive. I want, I, want you to ma I want you to make, please make sure you're paying attention to what's happening here. Jesus is just telling them the truth. Jesus is just telling them the truth. You know, um, I came across this uh, quote. I came across this quote. I wanted to share it with you guys. <clears throat> I came across this quote by uh, brother, brother Paul Washer, I believe Pastor Paul Washer. Uh, and the quote says this. Uh, here it is. Yep. This is a quote by Brother Paul Washer, and it says, oh, see, network stuff. But pretty much, pretty much it says, a true friend is the one who tells you the most truth. A true friend is the one who tells you the most truth. Keep that in mind as we're going through these verses. A true friend is the one who tells you the most truth. Can we all testify to that? Some of our truest, our realest friends in life have been the ones that will tell us the truth. Even when it might not be popular. Even if we might not like them right that moment, right? But when it was all said and done, we realized they told me that because they loved me. If it's the truth. If it's the truth. Now, that's the caveat, right? There's a lot of people who think they might be telling the truth, but it's not, right? But if it's the truth, a real friend is the one who's willing to risk, to risk you not liking them for a moment in order to tell you the truth that is good for you that will help you. And that's what the Lord Jesus is doing here. He loves them enough to tell them the truth. To tell them the truth. In verse 47, let's start back there. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give 
for the life of the world. Silence in the room, right? Wow. And you know what? Let's, let's read on first. Let's read on. Verse 52. And it says this. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now pause there for a moment. At surface, surface level, right? At first glance, if someone only looked at verse 51, took it out of context by isolating it from all of what the Lord Jesus Christ has already said to these people, then maybe I might understand why they reacted this way. Did you catch all that? You have to isolate just verse 51, separate it from everything he said, take it out of context, you know, and then maybe their reaction might make sense. But in light of everything the Lord has already said, their reaction makes no sense whatsoever. And you might say, why do you say that? Why do you say that, Brother Curtis? Let's, let's take a look. First off, first off, if anything, their reaction is late. Remember what we talked about way back in, what was it, verse 33? Verse 33, Jesus has been personifying bread for a while now, right? <laughs> He's been talking about bread as a person for a while. Why are they only now <laughs> reacting this way? Right? If, if they were going to react this way at all, you would have imagined back, you know, what, what was it, back in verse 33, right? When Jesus said, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. But do you remember their reaction back then when he said the bread from heaven is a he? And their reaction was, Lord, give us bread always. <laughs> but now here, he says, in the bread of, in the bread of, uh, in the bread from heaven is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And they go, how does man going give us his flesh to eat? It's like, where were y'all for the past? How many verses? <laughs> right? And number two, check this out. Another reason their reaction doesn't make sense. Uh, their re reaction in verse 52, it doesn't make, make sense, is, is because of this. The Lord says in verse 47, just a couple of verses before, in verse 47, he says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. He who believes in me has everlasting life. And then in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Same outcome. Everlasting life live forever. Right? So let's do some easy arithmetic here, right? <laughs> Same outcome, right? So what this obviously must mean is that the bread that gives eternal life equals the Lord Jesus' flesh. And that eating of this bread equals believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, they had to have totally disregarded verse 47 in order to react this way in verse 52. So now, I ask you again, in light of what we just talked about, if their reaction doesn't make sense, what's the reason for the reaction? Right? There's some possible explanations here. They are reacting this way because they completely disregarded and selectively ignored certain things that Jesus said in order to use certain other things against them? Or somehow they didn't even hear him say it. But they heard him say verse 51, but didn't hear him say the other. Now, I know we are talking about a group of people before the Holy Spirit was given. I know we are talking about a group of people who don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit to help them see with spiritual eyes and to hear with spiritual ears and different things of that nature, but can I submit this to you for consideration? 
Do you think it is at all possible that many in this crowd, I mean, I mean, just pause for, pause for me. From what we've seen about the reasons why this crowd initially even came to Jesus, from what we've seen about their behavior and how they seem fixated on this bread, right? Do you think it's at all possible that this crowd is so distracted by their own agenda that it is blocking them, it is distracting them from being able to see clearly and receive the far more important, far greater, far higher, and eternal blessing that they really need from the Lord Jesus. The higher and eternal blessing that the Lord wants to give to them. But their own agenda is standing in their way. It's blocking them. It's like whole sentences that Jesus said to them are just like not even being heard. Just went right over their head. I, I think that might be part of what's going on here. Just, just chew on that for a little bit. Chew on that. Ask yourselves. Ask yourselves here in the room, on the internet. Are you letting your own agenda get in your way? Your own agenda that you want God to do, are you letting that block you from what he wants to do for you? Verse 53, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I'll read that again. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. You know, I got to say it again. The Lord, I mean, I I don't mean to geek out here, but he's awesome, man. He he doubles down. He doesn't back down. He doesn't shrink back. He doesn't go, whoa, whoa, you guys didn't like that? Okay, um, let me find a different analogy. No, he's like, this is the truth. I love you enough to tell you. I'm not going to lie to you. And if some reason you didn't hear that I said he who believes in me will have eternal life, then whatever it is blocking your ears, you need to pop it out because the Lord's not going to shrink back. He's going to tell you the truth because you need it. Because you need it. Because we need it. We need it. And he loves them enough to continue to tell them the truth. Thank God for the love of God and for the truth of God. Verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Verse 61, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, catch this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? (laughs) Can you imagine that? Like Jesus turned it to them. You know, I don't mean to throw slang in there, but it's like, you mad? Right? It's like, does, does this offend you? Right? Repeat what the Lord, Je- oh, I'm sorry, where is it? Check this out. The Lord says, does this offend you? He says, before that, ooh, 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 it says, uh, I lost my place, I'm sorry. Yeah, in verse 60, it says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And Jesus' reaction is, Does this offend you? In verse 61. 
All he's doing is telling them the truth. But clearly for him to say, does this offend you, he's noticing their demeanor. He's noticing they're not, they're not standing up and going, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. He's noticing they're bothered by this. And you've got to pause and ask yourself, how do you respond? Each of us has to ask ourselves, how do we respond to the truth of God's word? Right? When we hear a hard truth from God's word that convicts us, right? That, that, that kind of steps into our world and starts taking inventory, starts pulling back covers that we, Lord, 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 I had that neatly laid. I, I had swept that under the rug real nice. Why are you dragging it out? When God's word confronts us, how do you respond? Does it offend you? Right? Jesus says in verse 62, What then... If you should see the Son of Man ascend where he, where he was before, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that I speak to you are spirit. I'm sorry, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. It's amazing how the Lord Jesus Christ equates their reaction to unbelief. That's a very sobering thought. Notice. What we were talking about a minute ago. How do you, I mean, we've got to ask this, how do we respond when the word of God confronts us? Because it, it, different people react different ways. Are we offended or do we surrender to the word of God? Are we offended or do we allow the word of God to change us, to transform us? Knowing that it's for our good, it's not for our destruction, it's for our good. And Jesus equates some of these reactions to them being unbelievers. He says this, he says, he explains to them that the words he's saying are spiritual. Obviously, he's not saying to literally eat his body. He's saying the words I'm saying are spirit and they're life. They bring life. But he says in verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. Right? Notice what Jesus said before. He said, all who the Father has given me will come to me. And that's a very sobering thought. There are a lot of very sobering thoughts in this chapter. And you know, I mean, that, that's a whole other sermon, brothers and sisters, but some of us think, well, we can come to God on our own terms whenever we feel like it. I, you know, man, in, in personal conversations and one-on-one conversations, sharing my faith with people, I've heard all kinds of stuff, man. I've heard people say, I'll come to Jesus on my deathbed, right? I mean, he'll just forgive everything I do. And it's like, what, what makes you think you can determine when you come to the Lord or not? I'm sorry. What makes you think you'll have time on your deathbed? There, there are plenty of people who step out in the street and boom, lights out. Just stepping into the street. That, I mean, the audacity. But isn't that the human condition? On my terms. On my terms. And remember, the Lord said, all who the Father has given to me will come to me. And what you got to pause and ask yourself is, this is a very sobering thought, but is your resistance to the word of God, is your resistance to the truth a product of you not being chosen? Of you not being one of the ones that the Father has given to the Son? Because all who the Father has given to me will come to me, says the Lord Jesus Christ. They will come. Sooner or later, they will come. And what you got to pause and ask yourself is, has the Father given you to the Son? Yeah. Yeah. This is something, this is real talk, brothers and sisters. This is something we got to pause and really, really think about. 
we get to pause and really think about and let the word of God just, just move on our hearts. And yes, let it convict you. Let it, let it challenge you. Let it, let it just wrestle with it. Don't ignore it. Wrestle with the, with the truth until you surrender to it. Because Jesus says here, talking to this crowd, there are some of you who do not believe. And the Bible goes on to say, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. He knew from the beginning. And who would betray him. Verse 65 says this, and he said, therefore, and he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Unless it has been granted to him. Unless the father has given it to him to come to Jesus. In other words, you don't have as much say in the matter as you think you do. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. In verse 67, then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Brothers and sisters, this is heavy. This is heavy. I mean, I mean let's, let's stop and, and dissect this for a minute. Let's chop it up. These people were so enthusiastic when they first approached Jesus, right? It's like they had this experience with him, this amazing experience where he supernaturally fed them, over 5,000 of them with two fish and five loaves of bread. They had this, this experience with Jesus, and they came seeking him, possibly because of this experience, right? They came seeking him because of this, yeah, because of this experience, and when they got there, they already had preconceived notions about they, what they wanted him to do. What they wanted him to do. But Jesus had other plans. And when he responded in a way that they didn't like, when he responded in a way that they didn't expect, when he responded with the truth, they left. They walked away. Scripture says here, in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Guess what, brothers and sisters? This is happening in the world today. There are people who perhaps may have come to church for different reasons, right? Perhaps they believe they have had an experience with the Lord Jesus, right? A miraculous experience. Or perhaps someone has told them what the Lord has done in their life. And so they come to church to see what else the Lord can do for them. Right? Some, some, some might come thinking, maybe if I add some Jesus, let me sprinkle some Jesus on my life like some paprika, right? You know, maybe if I add some Jesus to my life, it'll make my relationships better. Maybe Jesus can help me with my business. Maybe if I join a local church, I can use it as a platform for maybe my social agenda, right? They may come for different reasons. But when they get there, and if it's a biblical church, and they hear truth from God's word that doesn't fit their preference, they leave. And, and this, 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 this is the really scary one, right? So some might leave and just leave religion and church altogether. Some might leave and just go down the street to another church that says what they want to hear. Uh-oh. Right? Right? They come to a church, and maybe they don't like the biblical complementarian views of, that the church holds on the roles of, of men and women. They got an issue with that. So they just go to a church, 
that doesn't hold to those views. That will tell them something directly opposite from what the scriptures say. But they're okay with that. Because they didn't really have a biblical objection to the complementarian view in the first place. They didn't have a problem with it because they, they had a, a biblical objection. They just didn't like it. So they left. Went to another church. Right? Or, or watch this. Maybe they don't like that the, the pastor confronts sin and preaches repentance in his sermons. Right? Because they, they, they don't think that, that calling people to repentance is very loving. Right? So they leave. And, and get this. This, this is the, the, the really scary part, right? And get this. Because unfortunately, many times, they can find another church that will affirm them in this error. They feel justified. They feel justified. There's more people like me. I'm not alone. We're praising the Lord up in here. Right? I'm good. Let me share this with you, brothers and sisters, from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. And it says this. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Those like that, God told you about yourself before you was even born. God foretold it. He's not surprised. What you got to do is examine yourself by this. Let me share another one with you. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says this. In verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They don't even feel bad about it no more. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, I forgot where I saw this. Where did I see this? Where did I see this? I forgot where I saw this, but I think with cattle, sometimes if they cut the horns off, and, and don't quote me on this, but I think if they cut the horns off on a certain cattle, they sear the ends of it with a hot iron so that it won't grow back. I mean, get this picture. If someone's conscience has been severed, is dead, and then they sear it with a hot iron, it's unrecoverable. It's unrecoverable. It's not coming back. Am I the only one who thinks that is terrifying? To have a seared conscience. Scripture says that they will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Let me, let me clarify this just in case there's somebody out there who might need this clarification. Understand this. You do not have to stop coming to a church or sitting in a church building to depart from the faith. You can be sitting in a church building or even watching a church service on TV or on the internet and have rejected sound doctrine. And you could be, as 1 Timothy 4.1 says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons and have completely departed from the faith. Sitting right in a so-called church building. That is a very sobering thought. Beware of this. Flee false doctrine and love the truth. Love the truth. Even if it challenges you, even if it confronts you, love the truth. 
The Bible also tells us this about those who do not love the truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Now, please, hold your place in John 6. We're going back to John 6. I just I want to share these verses with you guys. And, and for this passage, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. In verse 9, it says this. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, watch this, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now let me, let me, let me uh, put something out there. I personally hold to an eschatology, eschatological view or an end time view that believes that the Bible teaches that before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, a person uh, that scripture refers to in different ways, such as the man of sin or the lawless one. Some today, many today actually, refer to him as the Antichrist will be revealed. I believe that. I believe this person will one day be revealed. And I believe that's who 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 is referring to. Now this, this is the warning here, because the Bible says this, that those who will fall susceptible to his deception, specifically the Bible says this, that they are those who refuse to love the truth. And so watch this. The Bible says because they refuse to love the truth, in verses 11 and 12, it says, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What I'm saying to you is, this is another reason, another reason to examine yourself and make sure that you are not one of those who refuse to love the truth. But you set preferences, you set your own agenda, your own preference above the truth of God's word. There's many dangers there, many dangers there. And you got to ask yourself, in light of what we read, do you love the truth? Do you love the truth? The Bible tells us in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. The truth is Jesus. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth? We're going to finish in John chapter 6, looking at verses 68 through 71. But let's, let's first recap in verse 66. Let's start in verse 66. And it says this. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Notice Peter's response here in verses 68 and 69. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? Ouch. Verse 71. 
He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. My goodness, the Lord knows his own. Praise the Lord, the Lord knows his own. He knows who's truly for him and who is not. Do you love the truth? When you are challenged with one of the Lord Jesus' hard teachings, and yes, some of the Lord's teachings are hard, but will you just leave and go find teaching or doctrine that is more palatable to you and more pleasant? Or when you are confronted with truth from God's word that seems hard to you, will you say like Peter said in verses 68 and 69, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can you say that today? Can you say that you have come to believe and to know that the Lord Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Let me say this. If you have not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is God in human form, he who is the truth who became flesh and dwelt among us, if you have not yet received him as both your Lord and Savior, you can repent and by faith receive the Lord Jesus Christ right now where you are. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You can receive him right now by faith. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. But let me close by saying this. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've already professed faith in Jesus, but you realize that there are areas in your life, right? Let me, let, me, let me make sure you heard that. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have examined yourself and realized that there are areas in your own life where you have not loved the truth like you should. You have not prioritized the Lord Jesus Christ and his word above all else in your life. Repent. Repent today. Repent and pray that the Lord will ignite that proper love and preference and zeal and priority in your heart for the Lord and for his word, which is the truth. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Merciful Father, we thank you, Lord God, for visiting us today, Lord. We thank you for your presence, Lord God, that is always with us, Lord God. Father, we thank you for the many great and wonderful things you have done in this place, Lord, both seen and unseen. Lord, the many great and wonderful things you have done in the hearts of the hearers, both present and online, Lord God. We thank you for the many great things that we trust you will use this message to continue to do. To the to do in the lives of those who, who hear it, Father. Lord God, ignite that proper love for you and for your truth in us today, Lord God. Let us run with that zeal, Lord God. Let us run with that zeal. Let's love you. Give us the love that we need, Lord, to love your word as we ought to. To love you and to love your word with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord God. to not let anything come between us, to not let anything come between us and your truth, Lord God. Your word is truth. Father, we pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for the lost, Lord. We pray for the lost. If there's any in this room or online listening, Lord God, that does not know you, that does not know this glorious truth, that you, Lord Jesus, are the bread of life, the bread from heaven that came down to give life to the world, the bread that if anyone eats of it will live forever. If anyone under the sound of my voice does not know 
this glorious truth that you, Lord God, so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whomsoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord God, we pray that you draw them even now. Your word says all that you, Heavenly Father, have given to Jesus will come to Jesus and that no one can come to Jesus unless you have granted it to them to come to him. Draw lost hearts even now, Lord. Draw lost souls to your blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, even now, Father, I pray. Father, we pray. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray and we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.